Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 37, starting with the first verse. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. There are the generations, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing a flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of, of Bila and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought, <clears throat> brought a bad report of them, his brothers, to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He told them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream, and behold it to his brothers, and, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Let's share our catechism today. It's the 17th question. What is idolatry? The answer, idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator. Amen. Okay, the children are dismissed. So we open the Word, let's pray together. Father, we come and... As we open Your Word, we ask You to open Your minds that through Your Holy Spirit again, You would set all the distractions aside that we might focus on Your Word. Allow it to comfort us, strengthen us, and give us direction in our walk with You. Again, we come to worship You and praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, in the book of Exodus, I'm going to start there, but then I'm going to jump backwards. But uh, in the first... Seven chapters of Exodus, or seven verses of Exodus, I'd like to read those this morning. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were seventy persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all his generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Okay, the question 
that should come is what are they doing in Egypt? And I know that the story is well known when you know the story of Joseph, but uh, we still have to ask this question, uh, you know, why? Why are they there? And to remind you that of maybe how God has worked in your own life. In fact, I wrote down for you, for myself first, and then for all of us to answer. What things have you experienced and wondered why, God? Think about it for a moment. The things that you've experienced and then wondered why, Lord? Why this? Why that? And not always do we get an answer. And some answers I have convinced are going to only come apparent when we see the Lord face to face. This is where our faith comes in. Trusting in the Lord even when we don't understand why. And I want to say to you something that I really, truly believe. God uses everything in our lives. He uses everything. He wastes nothing. And we have a Scripture that we rely on and sometimes it becomes one of these scriptures that we just we wrotely put it out there and and uh and it's it's one that we need to realize is more than just a good memory verse it is the truth of God and that's that all things work together for God uh for good for those who are called according to God's purpose if you have been called into a relationship with Jesus Christ God has opened your eyes to him You are called according to His purpose. And it says all things are going to work together for good. And again, we come back to, but Lord, there are so many things that I have seen and I have to ask sometimes, I don't understand. Why, Lord? God's never indifferent. He knows where you have been, where you are, And He already knows where you are going. We are told in in Romans chapter 12 that we're not to be conformed to the things of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the opening of our eyes and our understanding to His Word. And His Word needs to be a regular part of our routine. And in such a way that we're reading it and somebody will say, well, you know, I've read through the Bible three, four, five times. And all I can think of as a, an acquaintance that uh, was a teacher in uh, Seoul, Korea. And uh, he said, and yeah, and each time you read it, you get a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be sitting there and you'll be just blown away when you'll turn around and say, oh my goodness, this goes with this. And you'd never seen it before. You might have even heard it in a sermon, but missed it. And God just all of a sudden brings it together. And so we're in His Word. We're asking for our, our transformation. Not just We're not being asked to be conformed to Christ. We're asked to be transformed. That's the idea of the metamorphosis. We're to be changed from the inside out. Ultimately, to be completely new in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ, Paul writes. All of these pictures that we are to understand... You know, that God is not indifferent about who we are. He has promised to transform us. And He has promised to complete 
the work that He has started. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, God is going to finish the work. He's going to complete the work that He has started in us. We have all of these things that are promises that, that God has given us that we can rest with confidence in. He is a God of, that has chosen us, who cares for us, has promised us eternal life, and has promised to work all things together for our good. God blessed Israel. He promised to bless them. He promised to multiply them. He, tried, he promised to make nations out of them. And even when they were in Egypt, as I read in Exodus chapter 1, they were blessed. Why Egypt though? Egypt's not the promised land. How come they were flourishing there? And to really grasp that, we need to uh, look at the story of Joseph and what went on in his life. In the Scripture reading I read, you saw that Joseph is a favored child. And what did his brothers do? They hated him. He had the coat of many colors. They hated that too. They just despised him. There was no love for him. In fact, to the point where they were getting to at that, that place where if, if we could be without him, it would be nice. And then the dreams. That didn't help matter. Even his dad rebuked him about the second one. It wasn't, and you almost get the impression that Joseph might have been gloating a little bit. I don't know. But it's really not the issue. He was just being, I think, straightforward. Oh, God gave me a dream. And he gave me an interpretation. And he explained it. And Genesis chapter 37 through 50 is the focus on Joseph's life as, as well as the end of Jacob's life. And, and uh, depending on the reading program that you've chosen to go through and reading the Scriptures through in the year, uh, you have either just finished these Scriptures or you're in the middle of them or you're going to get to them very quickly. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, again, is this picture. Joseph and his dreams. He's the favored son among twelve. His coat, his dreams... Uh, surrounded by his family, recognizing him as the center. And again, the brothers that hated him. Waiting for the opportunity to kill him. In chapter 37, verses 19 through 28, the brothers said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Now, the opportunity that was here was that they were further away than normal from home. In fact, they were a substantial distance from home. And Joseph had been sent with some provisions and they were thinking, we're far enough away from home that we can get away with this. And he said, let's throw him into one of the pits. That would be one of the places normally where they would be drawing water from, and and we will say uh, and we will say that the fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. They really are just you know they 
just hate him. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed not blood, shed no blood. Just throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. In other words, Reuben had a plan. I, I, I will come back. I will get him. I will rescue him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they said, and they sat down and, and, eat, and then looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on the way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judas said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. Joseph to Egypt. They came back with Joseph's coat covered with goat's blood showed it to the father, to Jacob. Jacob believed his son had been attacked by a beast and was dead. And Joseph just went into extreme mourning. They tried to, to break him out of it, but he said, I'll go to my grave, basically, mourning for my son Joseph. Joseph in Egypt is sold to Potiphar. Most of you know these stories. They're, they're, they're the Bible kids' stories, the vacation Bible school stories, and numerous sermons. And, and so we have you know, this picture. He's, he's sold into slavery to Potiphar, who is a, a person within Pharaoh's court. And, and, and Potiphar's wife decides that he's one of her servants and she would like to have a relationship with him. He refuses. And so she lies about him, puts him in a position where he's at odds with Potiphar, and he's put into prison. While he's in prison, he comes across the baker and the cupbearer of, of Pharaoh. And he interprets their dreams. And one of them, Pharaoh's servant, he, he, he comes back and, he, and, and, and he's with Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh has his dream. We know the dream, seven, about seven good cows and then seven lean cows. And nobody can figure out the dream. And then finally, the, the, the servant of Pharaoh remembers, oh, there was this guy in prison that I was with. He interpreted my dream and put me back with you. And, and, and Pharaoh says, bring him to me. And Joseph interprets the dream. Seven prosperous years of bounty and then seven years of famine. Joseph interprets the dream well. Pharaoh sees it and, and he brings him into his court. Not only does it bring him into his court, but as, as 
Joseph serves Pharaoh, he just he wins Pharaoh's favor over and over to the point where he becomes the head of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. This in itself is enough of a story to to show you what God can do in all circumstances. He raises Joseph to that point of overseer of Egypt. Then the famine comes. In verse 42, this famine not only extends through Egypt, but up into the Canaan, and uh, people are coming to Egypt for food. Not just from Canaan, but from various places. They were coming to Egypt for food, and Egypt had the food. Pharaoh's treasure chest, if you will, in the midst of famine, grew, which was phenomenal by itself. Well, we know the story. Brothers need food. They go to Egypt a couple of times. I'm not going to go through all the details. But finally, in chapter 45, after Joseph sets it up for the family to come to to uh, Egypt. His family come to Egypt. We come to these verses. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Now this idea of being dismayed quite candidly means that they were trembling in their boots. Here's this guy that has all this authority, and now we're at his mercy. He was at our mercy, and we, we, we did him in almost. And now we are at His mercy. And Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. As if they needed to be told. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and ruler over all his land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. And you will dwell, and, and, and he will provide. Make sure they're okay. Pharaoh is, actually becomes a great supporter of this. He says, if this is what Joseph wants, then not only are they going to come, but I'm going to make sure they have everything they need to get here. He sends 
donkeys. He sends wagons. He sends provisions so that they will have plenty to come down. And when they get there, He gives them the land of Goshen, which is prime, fertile farmland. All because of Joseph. Israel prospers. They multiply. But then, Jacob passes away. They take Jacob home to be buried where Abraham is buried and Isaac. And then they return. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 50 of Genesis, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and he kissed him. And at the end of that paragraph in chapter in verse 3 it says and the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. In other words the Egyptians mourned over Jacob along with Joseph. And I'm thinking where does it say about his brothers? Well, we don't get any indication until we get to verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we have done to him. Their only concern was for themselves. Well, not the covering that we had through our father Jacob is now removed. Joseph might now choose to get even with us now that dad is gone. It shows you the character of his brothers haven't changed much. And yet, here we have this picture. They sent a message, it says, to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept. Then he spoke to them, to him. Where did this did, Joseph, did Jacob really say these words? Depends on what commentary you read. Because there's nothing in Scripture to tell you whether this was a feeble attempt to protect themselves which would be very typical of, their, of the brothers. And most of the commentators that I read said that that's what they think was happening here. Look what his brothers do, though. And I love this picture. Verse 18. His brothers also came and they fell down before him and they said, Behold, we are your servants. The dream has now been fulfilled that Joseph had. His brothers are around him. They bow to him as he stands and declare, we are your servants. I don't know if they realized that was what was happening at the moment, but they were desperate and they were afraid. And again, Joseph speaks to his brothers. Do not fear, for I for am I in the place of God? In other words, do I have the right to judge you? That's not my responsibility. As for you, you meant evil against me. He didn't hesitate to say it. You meant evil against me. 
But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. And I see this picture and, I, and I'm just so blown away how awesome a picture this is of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. How blessed we are. And how sometimes I forget and I take it for granted. Forgiveness. Joseph was practicing what Jesus preached. Forgive them. Even your enemies. Even take care of your enemies. Even feed your enemies. If it's need be. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus forgives us. Says, Forgive us our trespasses, our, 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 our debts, our sins. As we also have forgiven our debtors, or those who have trespassed against us, or sinned against us. Paul repeats a similar thought in Ephesians chapter 4. We are to have the forgiveness that God has for us, for others. Well, but, but what if they had done this and this and this and this? God doesn't put any barriers into this picture of our forgiveness. If you've been wronged, if I've been wronged, if we've been wronged, God says, forgive. Well, what if they don't want forgiveness? What if they don't ask for forgiveness? There's, there's one. If they would only ask for forgiveness, I'd give to them. It has nothing to do with it. You are to forgive. What if they never come face to face again and we never see each other again? Go before the throne of God in prayer and forgive. By the way, if you're sincere, you're going to experience a sense of release. A sense of peace that only comes from God. In the book of Romans, in chapter 12, the same area where, the same chapter where it talks about being not conformed to the world but being transformed, a little further on, in verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Now, genuine love, by the way, only can come through a relationship with God. We're not capable on our own. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And do not be slothful in zeal. But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. 
But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is such a powerful picture. It's, it's so opposite the flesh. And that's why Paul had started this chapter and, and with the idea, before we can get to this part, we have to get through this part. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? How does this renewing occur? It occurs through being in the Word, being in prayer, and quite candidly, being in fellowship together. How important it is that the body of Christ physically gathers together and worships together where God meets us and strengthens us. When we, when we come to communion, we deal with the same issues about grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're not only to ask for forgiveness. We're, we're told by Paul uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we are to examine ourselves before we participate in communion. And that is true. But in examining ourselves, it's not just to see where we have sinned and need to, to ask God you know, for forgiveness, but to also open our hearts and, and say, God, is there anyone I need to forgive? Or anyone... I need to let go of in the sense of what has been done to me. And again, it might be someone that you can't be in physical contact with, but it doesn't change the reality that before the throne of God, God wants to eliminate that for you. He wants to take care of that for us. So it's not only to ask for forgiveness, but to give forgiveness. Paul wrote that he received from the Lord what he delivered to them. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was retained, he took bread and he took the cup and he gave special meaning to them. That's what we do every time we share in communion. We examine ourselves. I recall a message delivered by a senior mentor of mine years and years ago, Pastor Jessup, William Jessup, Bill Jessup, where it says we should be praying before we ever get to church that God would open our hearts, cleanse us, and prepare us to worship, to enter His Word, and to break bread together we would start to practice that, you'd be surprised at how much more powerful the services can be. Maybe you're already doing that. But I just wanted to encourage you with that because it was such a, a, a thought for me. It wasn't, you know, oh, I got to church, it's time to pray. No. Pray the night before. Pray that God give you a good night's sleep. 
We have to be alert and ready to receive. And receive His grace, to receive His mercy, to rejoice in His forgiveness, and the heart to forgive others. Let's share in communion this morning. Ask the worship team to come back up and we'll sing a song about com- for our communion. While we are singing, uh, come up and pick up the communion and uh, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
So I'm already at this passage. I'll read it again. For I received from the Lord that I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke the bread. And He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Let us show the cup. He added this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to share together around the table. To remind us of Your mercy, Your grace, the reality that on the cross the words, It is finished, were for us to rest with confidence in our salvation. We ask for Your mercy and Your grace to fill us to the point of overflowing as we extend it then to others around us. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for all that You have done, are doing, and are yet going to do as we think about that final phrase, until You come again. Thank You, Lord. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close?
here this morning. Uh, we have a time of fellowship and refreshments if you have time to share or risk going out into the cold and odd oh, and be much better to stay and share. 